Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. All right, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Margot Wagenman. It's uh, January 27th, 2020. We're at the Nicholson Library at Linfield College. Margot, thanks so much for joining us today. We Thank you for having this. me. Um, let's start with the most important question of all. Why wine? Mm, I always feel like, why not? It's <laughs> so good. Um, I, I'm, I'm really, really fortunate. My family started a wine distributor back in 1973. Um, so it was my father, Greg Lama, and um, my grandfather, Albert, and his brother, or my father's brother, Philip. Um, so the three of them started wine distribution in 1973, and it just it took off. He did a really beautiful job of bringing in imports, being some, some of the first to bring in um, you know, Aldo Conterno and Gidi Vira and all these gorgeous wineries that are now um, you know, mainstays in the industry. Um, he was the first to bring in like Stocksley wine cellars from California back when like, yeah, that crazy 70s thing. So it's, it's really cool, like the history. So um, I didn't really wrap my head around that until I was in college, and uh, that's when I really fell in love with wine. I loved it. I knew I wanted to help my dad out in the industry, um, and I wanted to help him out with his company, but he took me on right after I graduated from college. It was a term early from U of O in 2006, and he took me to Vin Italy, which is this crazy wine fair where it's like nine warehouses of, of everything in Italy, like wine-related, including grappa, one whole thing of grappa, which was intense. Um, so we, we did this whole tour, and it just was, it blew my mind. I loved it. Um, our first stop when we, right when we got into Italy was Protatore del Barbaresco, and that's where I, it clicked that you could have the same grape planted in nine different vineyards. And the only differences between these vineyards are maybe slightly different exposure, maybe you know, there's two different soil types, like just two tiny little nuances, including these two vineyards that you just walk across the road from each other. And then we went back to the winery and tasted them all, and I just, that was it. I was, I was done. Like I, knew, I already knew I liked it, but I was like, oh my god, this is incredible. And there's just this one little tiny plot of land. Like, that means the whole world is like that. That's so cool. So, um, so yeah, so it just kind of kept going. Tell me about the keep going. So tell me about what you were doing at Lima. Like, what was your okay. initial role there? Yeah, so um, I graduated from UVO with um, a focus on business and Spanish. So I did a double major in that. Um, and the business school, I focused on decision sciences, which at the time was the school's way of like putting together anything IT related in the business world. They didn't know, like, you know, it was 2004, mm -hmm. five, six. So, um, so I did everything from I learned. I took classes on supply chain management, um, database management, um, website development, data mining, things like that. And I really, really liked the supply chain management classes. My dad was like, "Oh, thank God!" Because actually, I was going to offer you if you wanted to be the buyer. I was like, "Sweet, that sounds great." So, we did that. Um, so I got to work with him very closely for about a year and a half in that position, um, helping him bring in DI orders, working closely with the local wineries. Um, Working closely with the you know wineries out of California, Washington, Oregon, and then um, a lot of importers that would stock their product in East Coast and California. So like coordinating shipments and getting them all here. So it's cool to see that aspect. Um, and then my sister Pilar is a fantastic salesperson. She was the sales manager at the time um, at Lema, and she I mean she was awesome. My little sister Lucia was going to join the company. They were trying to like figure out exactly what you know, what we should all be doing and like what's our future roles here and kind of doing planning and Pilar was like, you should do sales. I was like, oh no, no, no. Like I was really anti-sales in the beginning. So I, <laughs> so um, uh, it took her a little bit, but she, she, she was great. Like she was right, I should do sales, so I did it. Um, the first year I thought it was the worst decision I'd ever made in my life. I thought it was horrible. Um, I didn't, you know, there's a lot of rejection along with all the positivity, so that was hard for me to manage. Um, I was also really not nearly as social as I used to, as I now am, mm -hmm. so it was hard for me to kind of break that barrier, um, but I did, and after a year, like to the date, I remember just being like, oh, this is so much fun, and like, and just running with it, and meeting all these people, and then those people refer me to other people, so I ended up getting, um, having anywhere between like 80 to 120 or 330 customers at a time that I'd manage and take care of, so I would start off with a really entry-level sales route. I took care of like Mount Hood, which was definitely different. Um, you know, Timberline's an awesome account, but everything outside of that's mu much more introductory. Gresham, back then there was a little, little wine shop um, that doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. Uh, and then I took care of Hood River. I serviced Hood River as a sales rep for almost 10 years. And I love that place. That was every single Friday. 
going out there and just selling wine. So that was, yeah, I did a lot of was into the wine world and sales and stuff. And, and then um, eventually took over like the John Gorham restaurant group, managing that, the McMinimans, working closely with Sean and like working with um, Joel Gunnarsson. I mean, at the, you know, he now owns Cooper's Hall and he's doing such an amazing job. I mean, I knew him back when he was in New Seasons, like an assistant over at Progress Ridge. It's been amazing by being a sales rep that you end up knowing all these awesome people, the people that we all have the same joy and like love over wine, you know, alcoholic beverages in general, honestly. Um, yeah, Teardrop Lounge, I used to have had the bartending, um, in the bartending world, they used to try to help as many bartenders, try to get them to understand sherry. So that was my big, yes, I was really <laughs> pro sherry back when sherry was like, oh, I don't know about this. Um, so Lustau, sherry, and that's really thanks to Daniel Shoemaker for um, getting Lustau out there and presenting it to the Oregon Bartenders Guild. And then from that point off, sherry really took off, um, which was really cool to see. Lustau was that perfect little like price point quality. It was like a slam dunk, so it was just that spread really quickly. Um, and it's been beautiful to see that open the doors for other amazing producers like Fernando de Castilla, which has evolved. So tell me about the, the actual sales part of it. Were you selling yeah. to distributors? Were you selling to consumers? Were you selling to restaurants? Restaurants and retailers, yeah. So anyone with an OLCC license. So um, after selling um, as a sales rep for a long time, I became assistant sales manager like the last three years I was at Lama Wine Company. Um, I left January of 2018, right? Yeah, January 2018. Feels like last year, but it was two years ago, which is crazy. Um, so those, yeah, those last couple of years there, I, hel I helped manage the New Seasons chain stores. So that was having an understanding of what consumers needed, always being on, on top of what consumers wanted and liked in the market, um, in addition to being able to understand like how do you sell to them. But in, now I'm selling to like a massive buyer. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool get to know um and at the time that was hillary Renshaw. she was the or sorry hillary um what's her name she definitely edited that don't say Renshaw. um <laughs> shoot what's her name anyways hillary's awesome she was the buyer head buyer for all new seasons at that time and she's a, an awesome woman she really helped shape how new seasons and helped them grow the entire time she was really cool to work with yeah, yeah, so a little bit of everything. So I kept always like those key accounts, those restaurants mainly, um, but because I had basically handled all the new season stores at one point, and I knew all the stewards, I was able to also use that knowledge to like make pitches to the head buyers who then would filter down to the, the stores. Tell me about that, that kind of that aspect of it. The new season's mm -hmm. obviously is a big deal for especially small producers in the, yes. in the area. So tell me about the how that works from, uh, obviously the smaller producers need all the help they can get. They need the places to, so how does Absolutely. new seasons work with that? How did you work with new seasons to get people on the shelf? Oh man, so a lot of it is just being able to be educated enough and knowledgeable enough, and it's all about timing. Um, understanding when the buyers in like, you know, all the new season stewards were like, man, I can't find, I don't know, let's say a good, a good off-white blend from from a local producer like I just don't have like people are out of stock of it that's when you immediately contact the head buyer like hey you should turn this white on I have samples I can drop it off today like you you just it's all about timing and being really reactionary quickly um, I also took the time to really get an understanding I would talk to the stewards and I would then ask Hillary like so I'm hearing that there's a need for this like on our next appointment can we can we do this can we mm -hmm. taste these wines um, I would also be really just asking a lot of questions like what are you in need of right now and so she'd give me a list, and so hopefully that would fit a lot of local category, and then I'd pitch those wines into her. Um, there's also the edge of wine demos, which is kind of how my, my current business starts, um, which is there's always, the local wine rick's awesome for wine demos. You guys are always doing them in stores. So um, when there's a local winery, for example, Cour de Terre, I knew that there was only like the Pinot Gris or something like that authorized. And so I pitched her, I was like, you should do the Pinot Noir too. And the reason, like, what about these other ones? Because we're doing wine demos and it'd be nice to have the whole lineup, not just that one wine that's authorized. So there's different kind of sales tactics you can kind of use depending on the winery and if they're already known or like, just kind of all depends. Mm -hmm. I like to filter things out and like do a very fine tuned pitch versus just being like, who wants this wine and how many people want it? Like it's, it's good to like be very analytical about who it is you're selling to and what do you have that you can offer them instead of taking the approach of like, I have this one thing I need to like sell it to everyone. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, I like that fine tuned approach more. Yeah. How did it change for you from when you started at Lima to when you were through that transition? How did the, did it get harder to, to place? Did it get harder to sell? Absolutely. The market became way more competitive. I mean, 
Lemma, Galaxy, you know, and then at the time it was just Young's. Um, I don't even know if it was Young's. I think it was just Columbia back then. Like, you know, McClaskey's. That was, those were awesome mainstay wine distributors. And then more and more kept coming. And then, um, you know, Petit Mon has done such a good job. Pedix Wine has done such a good job. Casa Bruno's fantastic. Like, there's all these really great, Casa Bruno's been there also for so long. Like, it's, it's been so nice to have all these, like, mainstays. But then you had all these little guys pop up. And all those, th that's expanded tremendously, along with cons consolidation at the top. So when Lemma closed, I know that there was all these major changes in the industry on top of Lemma closing. So it was, it was, it was nuts. Like I was actually very happy to not be fully immersed in it because it just sounded like it was chaos and brands switching over distributors all the time and people not, and distributors growing really, really quickly. And that's also a hard thing to tackle. Um, just so much change all at once and it's still apparently changing. And that's, it's a, it's a lot. Like I don't know 100% what the future will be like for the wine distribution industry. If those, um, I'm a huge supporter of these small distributors and how many there are. I think there's like 70 licensed distributors in Oregon and that's a good thing, I think, because that encourages diversity. Mm -hmm. And ideally that encourages um, sales reps who are knowledgeable about their portfolio and they don't have, when you have like a, you know, thousands of brands under your book, like the, some of the bigger boys do, that, that's a hard not to keep track of, mm -hmm. it's a lot. Like Lemma was big enough. I felt like once you were there for a year or two, like you got, you could get a good understanding if you really wanted to geek out. Um, so that, that takes time too, but in a good way. Um, so it's, yeah, we'll see how it changes. I don't, I don't know. Um, and it's, it's, you know, Oregon Pinot Noir used to be really easy to, to sell, I feel like, and now it's like everyone, their mother has one for under $15. Wholesale, that's wholesale. Mm -hmm. So it's, it gets, it's a lot harder. There's a lot less, um, I'm not seeing as brand loyalty kind of change. I think when I started in sales around, like probably with the probably with like 0809 vintage is when I saw a much a quicker switch into brands. Like you wouldn't, you weren't seeing a glass pour of the same Pinot Noir for a year straight, or even like a full six months straight. It switched to being like, what's the next new thing? And oh, this thing's on a good deal, so I'm going to switch to that and that and that. And they meet a new winemaker, be like, oh my god, I love that person. I'm going to put their product on. So it's just, it's constantly shifting. And I think as a buyer, it's, it's a, I commend them for doing such a great job because I think being a restaurant buyer or being a retail bar, buyer, it's hard to like, I'd have a horrible time. I'd say yes to everything. I'd say, oh my god, I want that and I want that. And this all sounds really good. Like it, it'd be hard. It'd be hard for me. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah. What did you hear from producers during that time as, as, as things were changing? As we, we hear a lot from the producer side, there was, used to be a lot, of, a lot of distributors and not that many wineries, and then that kind of flip-flopped. What yeah. did you hear from them as you were working with them through those years? Oh, man. Um, that's a good question. It was more like how there was a lot more strategizing as to how to make my, brands, my, my wine stand out mm -hmm. in the crowd. The story became much more important and having staff education became much more important. So it was more about the story and the quality and keeping up with the quality every year. It put a lot more stress on the producer, I think, to make quality wine year after year. Mm -hmm. You can't mess up. Mm -hmm. um, and price point, price points became a much harder play. Like when that 07 vintage came and with the bad press that came along with it, suddenly people were dropping prices. And that was really one of the first times that you saw a large quantity of wine out there that wasn't being sold. And that suddenly was being marketed towards, which I thought was the best way to do it, glass pours. Mm -hmm. and getting it moved through that way because then you're selling several cases a week versus having it sit on the shelf you know let's say you dropped on the price to 10 to 13 bucks so it's at 20 to 20 dollars retail that's i mean that, that'll sell but glass pour is just when people are just going through much more stock mm -hmm. um so then you went after displays you had to drop off the price off lower if it wasn't really selling and that that totally screwed up the market i think and you had bulk juice going going out suddenly you had all these second labels suddenly explode so second labels, pricing, that changed a lot of the, um, I think, especially Oregon Pure Noir game. It, it made it be, um, not only did it make it more popular in consumers' mind, which that was a good thing, um, but it made it much more of a game where it was like, what's next and how do I position this besides just price point? Which was, that was that's, that's a hard game to play, price point. That's thing with it, yeah. You mentioned story becoming more important. I'm, I'm curious, yeah. what, what, what's the story that worked? What, what did you find people were able to sell? Oh man, ge being genuine and just being saying, this is why I'm making the wine that I'm making, and this is where it comes from, and this is why I chose my place, and this is why I work with this vineyard. You look at Beckham and, and how many people work that fruit. That story is beautiful. Like what they're doing is beautiful. It's really cool, and so it's cool to like. I, don't, I never worked with them, but I, I I already have a deep appreciation for them just because of the stories I've heard through other people. That's that's huge. 
Did you mm -hmm. find people at that time who didn't have a story and, and, and fell, fell mm -hmm. away, like faded away? Uh, a couple. You don't have to name any names. Yeah. I'm just sort no, of curious. There, there is definitely one brand where it was it was hard. Like I think they were trying to find their story, and it, it's it, if the owners are um, doing it because they have a lot of money and they're just like, oh, this is this let's just you know great. I, this sounds like a nice retirement thing. It's like that's your story. That's not the greatest story. <laughs> let's find another story. So it's hard to you know to understanding that. But the the people who maybe there's there's also examples of really great business owners and winemakers that um, did were retired and they had this great you know stash of money. So they're like, why not? And it's because they really wanted to do it, mm -hmm. and that works because mm -hmm. they really want to do it. And then they get geeky and passionate about it, and they you know, it's good. It's good. Um, but if you're if you're in it for the money, it's not. Yeah, it's a much harder thing to sell. Mm. Yeah, and then you're going after hopefully press, because then they're going after the press, and that's just that's that's one way to play it that way. But it's not as for me, it wasn't as fun. Like if you're just focusing on press, and it's like okay, that's nice, good job, but that's like one person's palette. Like you know, mm -hmm. saying that you're a good winery. I'm not a huge press lady. Um, Stephen Tanzer to me was the only one that I could be like, oh good, like that descriptor matches mine. So we we I can follow you. Like that makes sense for you, me, but. Outside of that, I was always like, I oh, don't know, where did you get those candied apricots? But sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'm curious yeah. about that aspect of it, too. Since you, you came into the industry with an appreciation of wine as a consumer, yeah. tell me about the, like, the education process for yourself, learning all the brands, learning all the varietals, learning mm -hmm. all the regions. Yeah, um, I always tell people the best way to learn is just to try everything. Just keep drinking. Like, literally, just keep tasting anything you possibly can. Be responsible about it. Spit. Um, you know, do it with food. Um, but just make use of all those opportunities. Uh, I got really lucky that, you know, I, I came from a family who liked wine, so um, I, I was I was able to, since I was a young kid, taste different wines. I didn't exactly recognize what I was doing until I was older, and I was like, oh, that's great, I know what this wine is, and I know what this is, and oh, that tastes like that. Like, it was kind of fun to not, um, you know, my parents were never pushy, they didn't make us want to, you know, do anything. They were always like, what do you want to do? And hopefully... If you want to work with us, that would be great. But if you don't want to, that's okay too. What do you want to do though? So it was, I feel very fortunate that my education was very natural and very organic. And maybe a little bit more old school. Like I, I'm not WSET certified or anything. I haven't taken formal classes. I've just strongly believed in um, listening to people and understanding those individual stories and those individual wineries. And um, taking copious amounts of notes that one day I will take pictures of and upload to my Google Drive and transfer everything digitally one day. Awesome. It's gonna be great. <laughs> I have a stack of books of notes. Um, really need to do that. Um, so, yeah, I just think I think just tasting and learning and traveling, which um, now is I understand more expensive and it's harder to get those expensive wines. I mean, think about Burgundy and Champagne, and first gross. Like, how are you supposed to be able to taste those anymore? Hmm. Back in the day, it was easier. You know, you had like places like Martinotti's that you can get. You know, the quality might be questionable because the storage wasn't the greatest there. <laughs> However, like they had an amazing library of wines. Mm -hmm. So now I tell people to go to Weiser's and Lake Oswego because that stash is awesome. He has, Weiser's has such an amazing array of library vintages, um, you know, both local and international and um, domestic. They're an awesome source, I think. So if you really want to learn about wine, like, yeah, that's a good place to go for sure. Um, and then taking advantage of places like Liner Nelson and Park Avenue and Mom and Pop, like going to your local wine shop and getting an understanding from them and learning from these people because these people own those wine shops for a reason and they're doing a beautiful job in the industry for a reason. They're just, um, they're really doing great. <laughs> so yeah. tell me about the, the, the company you have now. Tell me about what, the, what yeah. drove you to start the, the, at Margo & Co and when. Yeah, so, um, so about a couple months before um, beginning 2018, so let's see, ultimately my husband and I, we have one sweet daughter, Lu Lucia. She was born May 29, 2015. She's great, great vintage too, that's, that's cool. Um, she's gonna have a great wine collection at the age of 21. <laughs> uh, but my, I, uh, we were planning on having a second baby, but I was looking at my life and my schedule and like I was used to working anywhere between five to eight days, you know, five to seven days a week, long hours. Um, I would drop off my daughter at daycare as early as 6.30 and pick her up as late as 4.30. Like it wasn't the ideal schedule mm -hmm. as a mama. And I knew it wanted to change. And so we were looking into like maybe different daycare programs everything but the math just never penciled out it would have been over 2400 you know 2200 at the cheap end a month for two kids to be in daycare full-time which is ridiculous and as we know the wine industry isn't like at that 
fantastic level of paying everyone like <laughs> massive clients money to for that. So it was just my take home would have been really small and I had to make a choice, so I, I did. Which was a really hard choice to tell my parents sorry and to back out of that. So that was really hard, but I did it. And um, my son was due uh, February, actually March um, 12, 2018. He was three weeks early. So that was totally shocking. Um, we're totally right on track and just decided to come out one day. <laughs> so, that was, and he really changed my life. Like I knew I, I wanted to leave um, Lemoyne Company to start a new life and be more family focused. Um, but he was born with Down syndrome, so that totally changed everything for me. It made me realize, um, yeah, it made me realize I had to um, make even more changes in my life. Mm -hmm. So, if you back up to January right before he was born, I was, um, I was super pregnant, and I thought it'd be a really great idea to, because I was a little stir crazy too. <laughs> I needed to get out like at least once a week, just doing something. I was used to making money and like doing stuff and like mm -hmm. constantly. So to be suddenly have like no plans other than like how to take care of my daughter every day, which was awesome, but it was also like, how do we, how do we hang out all the time? <laughs> um, it was so adorable. I'll never forget her like the third day in, and she was just like, you're here every day? I was like, I am every day. And in my head, I was like, oh my God, every day, every day, okay. So, <laughs> I need some adult time here, I need some I know, time. <laughs> I was like, I need adult time. Um, so I reached out to some, some wineries. Um, Patrick Taylor came this feast, he's awesome. Um, Corey Terre, um, Scott and Lisa Neal, um, Aloro, Tom and David are fantastic. Um, you know, Spire and Dooley, Seven of Hearts, uh, Luminous Hills, like those guys were my first customers. They, they were like, oh yeah, we want, can you, yeah, go do demos, like that would be great. Cause I told them like, just whenever you need any labor, I know you guys are always looking for somebody to like pour wine somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I can help you with that, why not? Um, and that became more of a service where they were just like, we were doing these three hour demos and then it kind of came this thing like, well, oh, I can book it because I know all the new season stewards so I can just book it for you and that way you guys don't have to worry about that either, about your sweet things. Um, so that was cool where that just kind of happened. So within a month I was like, oh, I'm busy, this is great. And then I was like, oh God, I'm really pregnant though. <laughs> so, so when Lincoln came out three weeks early, like I actually had a demo like that weekend and I had to ask my sister if she could sub in and then I asked my, my buddy Josh, Joshua Chang, he's a great photographer. Um, like him and, um, oh gosh, Amanda Demand. She's a great cheesemonger. Uh, we're at New Seasons now, Orenko. She's wonderful. So these people were kind of my backups. As work came in that I was like, I can't do it. Well, not possible, actually. Just had a baby. Sorry, <laughs> totally overcommitted. <laughs> I had really grand plans. Um, so they, they helped me out. They really, really were awesome. And then um, the work kept, work requests kept coming in, but we, that first month of Lincoln's life was really rough. Like we were at the hospital multiple times a week, like if not every day, um, trying to figure that out. So when the test came back positive that he did have Down syndrome, we're like, okay, well, we're prepared now because like you literally spend the first two weeks of that processing and also getting all this information, which for Randall and I is good. Like we love the information. We will take it and like be like, okay, I think a lot of people get overwhelmed and I, I, I get that. But for us, it was, be, it was great to be like, okay, so this is like, down syndrome kids don't live now until they're 40. They actually live until they're over 60. It's amazing. Like we learned so much about Down syndrome and we learned that there's all these support systems through that. So then I was like, oh, we're good. We're fine. It'll be okay. Like it's great. So we, yeah, so we, we felt more comfortable with it. So I knew I wanted to start a company. Just, I was planning on doing it in 2019, like January, 2019. Um, but Lincoln started sleeping through the night. So um, around uh, May, June, I was like, mm, I think I could do this. <laughs> so I think it was two solid months of him sleeping through the night, roughly. So I was like, oh, I'm feeling great. Cause you know, you go from like sleep deprivation to like suddenly feeling like a million bucks when you're sleeping all the time. And he was such a chill, awesome little dude. Like even with all the therapies we go to, everyone was like, oh, I have time, this is great. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking either. Um, so yeah, so July 1st, I started my company. My husband was really sweet. I came home and I was like, I was doing research and it's really easy. So I did it. <laughs> He was just like, oh, I was like, I know, I love you a lot. <laughs> I was like, it'll be small, it'll be small, don't worry. Um, and so that, yeah, he, Lincoln really prompted that, like all that, all those life changes. I knew that if I started my company, I could have a completely flexible schedule. I knew that I could work from home. Ideally, by starting a company, I wouldn't be the one doing all the pouring. Other people would do the pouring. I could train them, educate them. I could take, I could coordinate winery visits so that way people understood the wineries like I did. Um, and then they could prop properly talk about them. Um, wineries were awesome for being so supportive of that. Like my customer base started growing. 
I sent out a text, I think the second week of July, being like, okay guys, I'm ready, like who else wants to do this? Like just wine demos, you know, I could pay. I think at the time it was like 15 to 25 an hour is what I had worked out um, with all the wineries. With local wineries, I was just telling them like, how much can you pay? And let's just figure it out. I'll just take like a $15 finer fee, don't worry. But like, I want those guys to make the money. Mm -hmm. And that's still how my company is based and that I want my pourers to make the money. Because they're the ones who are doing all the work. They're really the ones that are like, they're the front and center people. They're awesome. Um, so yeah, that just all <laughs> blew Happened. up from like 10, pe yeah, 10 people to like, by the end of 2018, it was um, closer to 20 people and five times as many customers. And then since then, it's just kind of snowballed. So I, I'm now at 58 pours on my team. Um, and I have well over 50 customers. I forgot to count before going here. But it's been, it's, it's awesome. It's because of all those years in the industry and having all these connections. Mm -hmm. Um, and getting people to like people know that I, I really care, which is cool. So it's been good. So I, Margo and Co is really a hub connecting people. Um, I have 57 people that are all their friends or friends of friends. They're connected through some ways. I have now people that are friends of friends of friends, which I'll take it. I love it. Like I like. I'd rather have this natural organic growth. Um, and the wine industry. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about pay. Like that's. Some people need extra money, especially with living expenses mm -hmm. going up so dramatically high. Like, I don't know how you guys do rent, honestly. It's crazy. I'm just floored by how much rent is these days. You know, when I graduated college, I think you could get a place for like 200 bucks a mm -hmm. month. It's easy. My first apartment was like 375 a month. Yeah. 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 It's ridiculous. Those were gory days. I know. We could do it. We could still buy <laughs> wine on the side. You know, like now it's like, how are you supposed to pay rent and pay your bills and pay, do everything? I'm like, and start a family. You're supposed to start a family and do all this. And do your lifelong dream of like wine. Like that costs money. So it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot, a lot. So I, I like that I'm helping people get some extra income. Now I'm at the, um, like if you're doing tasting room support, it's a minimum of 18 bucks an hour. If you're doing demos, I'm, I can pay 25 to 33 an hour. Um, I got wineries to go up more, which is awesome. And those, it's three, three hour demos of work, but you're making 75 to over 100 bucks, hopefully, like as much as you want to. And it's, it's all, everyone works as often or as little as they want, which that's my biggest challenge is trying to manage that. Like, making sure I always have somebody available. Like, I feel like I always have enough. And then, like, the last three months of last year, it was like I constantly had demos that I had to be like, I'm sorry, I can't fill it. So I was constantly adding in more people um, to keep up with that. So that's kind of how I gauge my needs, is like, if, if I reach a point where I have um, demos that I can't fill, that means I need more people. Mm -hmm. If I have too many people and not enough demos, that means, like, okay, I'm good with people. Focus on the customers. Like, do that. Um, so it's, it's, been really, it's been really nice to be able to, like, juggle that and work it out. How did you see the the need? So it sounds like what you're 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 filling the need that the wineries the wineries can't staff basically mm -hmm. they don't have enough staff to go out and do demos or to fill the tasting room staff. So was that a need that you had just noticed uh, over the years, or was it something that kind of came to you? Or uh, I noticed it over the years, and I didn't realize how big of a need it was until I started helping that January. That was intense, and then I noticed that you know distributors being how big they are and how busy they are and. Even being a sales rep, you know, in traffic, you're spending more time on the road than sometimes seeing customers. It's, it's hard. So how are you expected to book all these events and do all this stuff and remember to follow up with the customer and remember to do all this stuff? Like, it's, it's a lot to juggle. Um, so I knew that it could be a help um, for those companies that wanted to see that, um, you know, not only is it a help to their sales reps, like Handcrafted has been awesome. They see it as a great service and I love them for working really closely with me. Um, through the wineries that they represent. Um, and then the wineries see it as a big service because they're like, great, you can talk to the distributor. At, or sometimes it's just they funnel the information. I, I'm really flexible. I like to figure out whatever works out for each winery, which I recognize probably in a couple of years I might have to be more streamlined because right now it's like all these different ways of communicating, which I can handle, but I'm like, it's a lot of different ways of communicating. Um, really good note taker and I have really great Excel spreadsheets. Um, it's kind of a, it's the secret. That's it. Um, so we... Yeah, I, I, if I book the de demo, I do all the event planning, everything. Um, it's the wineries love that they're like, okay, great, I don't have to worry about that. You've just taken care of it. Just tell me what they're pouring. I'll even finalize the lineup. Sometimes stewards want to finalize the lineup with the distributor, and that's fine as long as it gets conveyed to me within a week before the demo, ideally. Because mm -hmm. my big focus, again, is education and getting those people to pour wine that they know about the wines. So I'll send them the, the winery website link. I'll send them like winery backgrounders, mm -hmm. fact sheets, things like that. I'm always shocked when it, there's wineries that are like they don't have fact sheets. I'm like, how do you not have fact sheets? Like, 
how am I supposed to talk about your wines? I need the gritty details, like technical data, all, like all the geeky stuff on top of the consumer-related stuff. It has to be like really well balanced. Uh, if you don't have that, then it makes it really hard for someone to talk about. So, um, yeah. Where are we at? <laughs> you should tell me. Well, you talk about yeah. demos. Give, give, me, yeah. give, me, give me an example of what exactly you mean by it. So demos for a distributor or demos for a consumers? For the consumers. For the consumers. So, okay. so basically, I, like for example, if someone hires me to, to book the demo and coordinate it with New Season Stewards, I'll call the steward or email them, depending on the New Season Stewards preference. Uh, or sometimes I even go physically stop by. Um, I say, hey, so-and-so once hired me to you know, pour Union Co. wines or Seven Hearts or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, ideally, that winery and or distributor, whoever's paying for me to do this work, has given me a list of everything that's on their shelf. Mm -hmm. um, it's helpful when it's really accurate. So that's one hiccup. <laughs> Sometimes you're like, really outdated info. Um, and so you can go to the steward and say, I know you have this and this and this on the shelf, like let's pour it, what day is good for you? And they'll say, oh yeah, sure, no problem, this day, this time. Right, and ideally that's it's that cut and dry. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a brand trying to increase their footprint in new seasons, for example. So they have maybe only have one or two SKUs in each of the stores. So this is an opportunity for them to increase the number of SKUs. Mm -hmm. Or some wineries like to team up, and so we can do like dual demos, and that cuts the cost for them. So that's also good for them too. Um, so we can, yeah, for the holidays. That was a big part of my my. Uh, my focus in the holidays 2018 when I first started was doing like these themed tastings. So it was like Northwest wineries and then they could pick from all these different wineries that were paying me to book demos. And then I tell them, okay, stewards have picked your wines, you know, one out of the six wines is yours, two of the six wines or whatever, and I break down the cost accordingly. Um, you know, um, and that was, that was really fun. But on the steward side, I think it gets confusing because then they're working with all these different distributors for one demo. So. We made it a lot more simpler in <laughs> 2019, <laughs> where I did a lot more just winery-focused demos. Mm -hmm. The shared demos, every once in a while, it's fun to do it, and it works well, I think, with local wineries mm -hmm. that are under the same book, mm -hmm. so Handcrafted is really great for that. Um, but if it's not in the same book, I tend to try to say, like, let's do winery-focused. It's hard. It'll be a little hard to do that. Um, and then there's regional focuses, like um, Ribera del Doro, um, Rueda demos that I did. I coordinated um, for this really awesome woman named Sarah Howard. She's the head of the DO uh, marketing side of it. Mm -hmm. So she had, had money to spend in Oregon for demos, so I was able to book all of those for her. And then I'll be doing Grenache, Grenache demos for her for the next couple of years, hopefully, which will be awesome. So I, there's all these like little niches I can fill by helping people get connected, mm -hmm. is, is what the common thread is, what I'm finding with all of it. Mm -hmm. So now I just needed to find that. In a, fancier way <laughs> on my website because <laughs> I get a lot of questions about like what do you do I'm like oh, demos and tasting resort like staffing but not really like legally it's demo companies like so it's, it's a different type of demo company people mm -hmm. don't even really book all that stuff so it's a little bit unique we were all kind of excited to figure it out ourselves <laughs> which is why all the questions here <laughs> no it's but good I, but I appreciate this is this is it's interesting I, I'm curious the feedback uh, you're mm -hmm. getting from especially from the client and from the winery yeah. end as you're are you are you having the success selling the wine that they're hoping you would so far so good like I send them the feed there's always feedback forms after each demo so um, you know they're getting all the nitty-gritty even when it's not a, a good demo like let's say they only sold six or seven bottles which that's lame that sucks it's not a good demo um, so if they're doing that I make sure that the port says why like what happened? Mm -hmm. Were the price points too high? Was it raining and you're selling rosé? Not a good combo. Um, you know, there's all these different reasons as to like why. Because sometimes it just stinks. Mm -hmm. I've had demos where I sell less than a case and it stinks. You're just like, how did I? I spent three hours and I poured 40 people and I sold nine bottles. Mm -hmm. This is ridiculous. Um, you know, sometimes people just aren't in, in a buying mood, so they'll take more pictures of the label, which is good. That means they're going to come back. So that's that's and that's fine. Um, but it's hard for me to be able to gauge the success of those lower, like at the time sales, mm -hmm. um, because it depends on how the distributor, the distributor's doing those follow-up orders. <laughs> and if they don't, if the sales rep doesn't catch, like let's say we only sold nine bottles, but six bottles were of this one wine, so now the shelf is out or whatever. Actually, there's more stock than that on the shelf um, in the back stock, but um, if I sell the wine, the sales rep doesn't catch it, then that means there's no reorder. That stinks for the brand. So it's a really tight partnership that you ideally I'm trying to foster between um, having very open and frank com communications with the distributors and/or the winery. You know, whoever's paying for me, mm -hmm. I try to be really honest. If like someone messed up and the order didn't come through, and sometimes it just happens. That's that's the part of the distribution industry I can relate to. I'm like, oh, sorry, 
it happens, you know, but if people are quick reacting and they can sub in product or they can uh, keep me updated, then we're good to go. That's not a problem. Um, but so far the feedback has been, has been really good. I don't think I'd be, I keep asking for negative feedback and so far there hasn't been many other than like more sales reports, but I don't have access to that information. So I can't provide that. So that makes me, I wish I could. I'd love to have access to those numbers, but I don't, yeah. Tell me about finding pourers and about fi finding your employees. Who, what are you looking for and, and someone to pour, to, um, to pour for you? Someone who's in the, like, who cares? I feel like when you meet people, um, I like to do personal one-on-one -on -one interviews. Very worst case, it'll be on the phone. Um, and I'll ask them certain questions, like what are their favorite wines, what do they like to do, what have they done before in their past jobs. You know, just because you're really good in the restaurant side of things doesn't mean you necessarily could transfer to the retail side. Um, you know, in the end, if you're really amiable, you really care, you're passionate. You may not even have the best wine knowledge, but if you really care and you want to learn and geek out, we'll be, we'll, we're going we're gonna to do great. And so maybe the people with lesser wine knowledge, um, I'll start them off with more introductory demos. Um, I, I help sell now um, everything from like Gallo brands, thanks to Tucker, who's awesome, um, to like Trincaro and Deutsch Family Estates, along with all the local wineries. So that allows me to have a balanced amount of work for everyone and be able to help a broader range of people mm -hmm. as well. I like something I learned from my parents that I thought was always really important to be very, um, you know, don't just focus on the little guys. You can, the big guys, it's not just because they're big doesn't mean they're bad. It's just like, you know, just like anyone else. Are, are these good people to do business with? Mm -hmm. Are they good people? That's what I focus on. And how do you go about finding that part out? I'm curious when you're looking for clients, how do yeah. you gauge someone you want to work with? Um, organization is really important. So if they're not organized right off the bat, I'm like, ah, let's just stick to the fill and pour service. I can't do organized demos for you. Like, oh, and I'll be honest when I'm like, oh, it's too much for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's others that are awesome, like really right off the bat. It's like easy. It's just, you just fill in and they start, they send you over the spreadsheet and you say no problem. And then you just send in the people and it's seamless. Mm -hmm. It's really nice. Um, finding new clients. I was going to a lot of like more trade events last year and then I would reach out to distributors and friends and contacts and things that I had. Um, so things just kind of have built up so quickly from that that I'm, I'm now just trying to manage all of it and <laughs> trying, to focus, trying to do all of that. Um, and because the core of Margon Co is really being a connecting point um, between people and people who need people, um, I've, I've been able to support uh, Matt Plitch. He owns Neutral, which is a carbon neutral uh, focused um, pro products. Um, he's starting with dairy products, which is really cool. So we're doing milk demos in stores. And I was honest with him in that, like, we are, you know, there's wine. I have free, we have a free beer team. Um, I do a little bit of beer just because it's, you know, the alcohol <laughs> situation. Um, and it's, uh, it all started with Yetta over at Cricket Stave. She's a friend of mine. And so she owns, her and her husband own Cricket Stave Brewery. And she convinced me to do demos for her. And I was like, well, okay, I'm already doing demos. Okay, yes, I'll say yes to Frame. And, you know, and thanks to Kristen, um, one of my team members, she knew someone at Frame. So it just all kind of connected. So that happened. And then um, Matt got a hold of me through another recommendation to somebody else, which came from New Seasons. Um, I really love New Seasons. Um, so Matt, connected to me, he was really gung-ho. He was like, I really want you guys. And I was like, well, we're, we're alcoholic beverage industry. Like milk's a whole different product. It's grocery store, it's different types of consumers. Like, I mean, you know, now there's none of these non-milk drinkers. Like, how do we, you know? And he's like, we'll figure it out. So like, okay. I mean, he's so passionate about what he's doing. And I love, I love what he's doing that I was like, okay, we can do this. Let me see if I have people that want to do this though. Cause I can't be personally doing these demos. <laughs> I'll do like, I don't normally pour as much anymore. Um, but for him, I was like, I'll, I'll do at least try to do at least a couple a month because I think what he's doing is really important for the environment. Um, so that luckily I had five people off the bat that wanted to do it. But that shows you from the team, like I have over 50 people and I have five people that want to do milk demos. And that's fine if, as long as he's fine with that. Mm -hmm. So, um, and since then it's kind of expanded, I think about seven or eight now. It's only been a couple weeks we started doing demos. And then last week I helped um, Southern launch these CBD products in Ross stores and that again came from my friend Tucker who recommended me and it just kind of all happened but thanks to Rhonda who's exceptional she's been in the industry for a while she was in the industry for a long time she's at New Seasons before that and then she ended up getting into the CBD worlds and then she left it and now she works you know here for me here and there 
And she was like, I can do it. I was like, okay, great. Can anyone else do it? And sure enough, there's like eight people who were like, I love CBD products. Yes. So I was like, great. You guys are passionate about it. Let's do this. So we, as with anything, anything new, we did a staff education. Um, with the CBD, it was, you know, online, virtual. They did this whole scientific breakdown. This is how you sell everything. So we could, as a team, know what we're talking about. Um, geek out about it once again. And then with neutral, it was more one-on-one. -on -one. Matt's really personal, hmm. which I appreciate. So he likes more one-on-one -on -one interactions. And so he can tell someone like really face to face and like this is what I'm doing so and then they just they rock it they do good because they're set up for success hopefully so you started with wine and now you're into milk and beer and CBD. Yeah, is, is there a is there a logical end to this are you um, is it just anything people want I really so? I feel like as long as there's people that I have on the team that want this work mm -hmm. then why would I deny it I feel like that wouldn't be fair like my whole point of Margo Co. is to be a connecting point. That was what I wanted to do in the wine industry, and then it kind of branched into the beer industry. And then it, now it's like officially this year, it's like the milk and the CBD. And I'm like, well, I mean, why should it stop? Like, if I have people that really want to do it and are passionate about it, why not? So, in my head, it's like, well, why not? I always ask myself, why not? And if there's not a good enough reason, then it's like, well, then I guess I should do it. Worst case, you back out. You say, whoopsie, sorry. Um, which ideally, I don't. So far, I haven't had to. So, I feel lucky about that. You mentioned being a connecting point as sort of the, the, the core mm -hmm. of, of what you're doing. Is, w w how would you describe your, your, your philosophy for Margon Co? Is, is it that? Is it more than that? Um, after Assemblage Symposium, I want it to be more than that. I realize that there's so many fantastic people um, in the wine industry, but just in the world in general. Like, there's awesome people to be connected to. So I want to um, Im implement a mentorship program, or at least refer them to a mentorship program. Um, there's someone I'm talking to this week to she wants to start um, educational classes. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want, I've been wanting to do more formal, um, you know, blind tastings and things for my staff. I just haven't had the time for it. Um, so maybe I have you do that. Like maybe I just connect everyone to you. So I would love to branch off that, like give people more opportunities to learn, not just through the brands that we're working with, but just in general, um, whether it be wine, spirits, beer. I think my, my goal is to have always a special focus on wine because I love the wine industry, but I, I can't deny that there's other industries that need support as well. Mm -hmm. There's no demo company that really cares 100% and has such a large team of dedicated people that want to care. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what, like if I can keep doing that, then why not? You mentioned Awesome Blage. Tell me a little bit about, about your experience there. That was amazing. That was absolutely incredible. Like, I'm sure you can agree. Like, it was just, um, you know, I, I was never really pro, like, all women, you know, I was always like, I mean, let's all love each other. <laughs> like, I'm just not into this whole, like, you know, separating things out. I really believe in, like, just everyone working together. Let's, that should be the root of it. But in the end, that is the root of it. I went there, not sure exactly what to expect, but Siobhan Marie and Stacey Gibson, I knew we were going, if they were involved, then I knew I wanted to go for sure. And then when I started hearing more about it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is really cool. This is going to be so interesting. And some of these women going, like Elaine Chuka Brown and um, Carrie from Little Green Pickle, I mean, they're, they're amazing. They're people I've admired for a long, long time, especially Carrie from Little Green Pickle. She's awesome. Um, so I, I, could, I couldn't say no. I felt like that was such a great learning opportunity. Um, and I think it was like second, like by lunchtime, I was totally smitten. I thought this was like the most amazing thing ever. And there was all these people I hadn't seen in a long time that they were there. And it was just another way to connect with people. And I felt like Awesome Lodge was a great way to do that, where you're just connecting everyone, like all these awesome people. Um, not to say there's people there that didn't want to get connected. There's definitely a few women that I met that I was like, oh, okay, you're not, it's fine. <laughs> you have other goals that you're here for. That's fine. You don't want to talk. No problem. Talk to this other person. Like. Um, but it was it was real it was inspiring it made me feel like just like we can we can do so everyone is capable of so much more you know mm -hmm. if we just talk about it mm -hmm. which has been my focus for the last two years and myself personally just like what are you capable of and how you can be the best person you can be and still always have balance because i was really happy to have a work-life balance mm -hmm. so yeah awesome knowledge was amazing and siobhan marie in particular with that those that last speech she did like that was awesome. She's great. She's really good. Yeah. So obviously, uh, part of the point of Assemblage is, is that there are more women in wine now, and there are and there are more opportunities needed that are and are needed. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious. You're part of the industry, especially as 
fairly male-dominated uh, distribution, sales, uh, marketing, fairly yeah. male-dominated part of the industry in general. Tell me about your work in that and how that's how it has been for you getting into it. Well, that's a good question. Um, before I forget, I should say that like Margot Co is mainly women, which I thought was interesting. Um, and I think that was, a lot my next, that was my next uh, question. Sure, yeah, so yeah, thank yeah. you. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of tied in, sort of. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with, with and this is kind of where I'm going to go with it too. Um, you know, pay is such the the pay difference is really difficult to deal with as a woman. It's really hard to hear about um, men who get paid more than you for the same type of work. It's really hard, and I and I do. From my perspective, I felt like for me personally, it was because. I need to ask more. I need to be more upfront. I need to be more aggressive. I need to be more like, no, this is what I want to do. Let's do this. Like, I need to be not so shy when I say, you know what, my service just went, like this year I raised my prices um, for, for Margo & Co, some of the services, and I felt like I, it, I had to. I was looking at my costs and my time. I was like, no, I'm just going to do it. Like, if people don't want it, then it's not going to, maybe then they'll know that at least this is my cap. Mm -hmm. um, I did do a couple of fearlers with customers that I really wanted to make sure that they would still stick with it. And they were like, oh gosh, of course, it's great. I was like, great, perfect. Don't be shy. Be brave. Just go for it. Like, and as a woman, I think that that's that's hard for us to innately be. Um, and I think my parents are fantastic for encouraging us to be brave always. They're they when they talked about that as umlage is raising your children to be brave. That's definitely something. Like, yes, absolutely, be brave. And I think I see a lot of women. Um, hear stories about women who, you know, didn't feel comfortable speaking up. And in my mind, it's like, why not? Like, yes, you're in an uncomfortable situation, but how can you handle that and make your your situation again? And then be proactive in that way. Like, be able to find your voice in that way. It's a better word for them, proactive. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's important, I think, to never, um, there's gonna be situations where you find yourself that you're like, this is not okay, I don't like it, it's okay to leave. If you feel like it's a situation where you're like, I really want more and I'm not getting what I need, why not say it? Like, just. It's, it's easier said than done, but I think once you start practicing that way of, of working and, and having relationships, you end up being so much happier and everything just is, it's just, I love it. I love life right now. I feel like <laughs> I've been doing that solidly now for a few years and it's, it's been nothing but positive results. So that's my big thing. And I think Awesome Balls really pushed that mm -hmm. home as well, which is what I liked the most about it. Yeah. Did you set out to have mostly female employees in your business? No, I mean, I have to admit, most of my friends are women, so that kind of stemmed from that. But there's also a lot of mamas. I mean, we're, there's a lot of mamas that they're awesome people in the industry that they can't be in it full time anymore because it's, it's it, childcare stinks. Like it's expensive. So that kind of happened. And I have to admit, when I first um, brought on a sweet man named Tim Reifstick, I think he was the first male on, on the team. But he's so like the nicest person ever and he came recommended from somebody else and part of me was like oh man no, I'm not longer just all women but you're really good like you're gonna be really good and he is he's such a great sale he's such a consumer friendly like amiable person he's a super geek so he just does super well um, and it's since then like I really what it's and what I've always been is is focused on like are you good as a person as an individual like how good are you at being sales and knowing knowledge and how passionate are you are um, it just happened to be that women were the main people that came up to me mm -hmm. or that I reached out to. Um, even the men that I reached out to, they referred me to other women. So it just was interesting how that happened. I think that's, that speaks to how the industry is um, unbalanced in regards to maybe, maybe women do need more money than men right now because they're not paying paid enough. So you know, not only is it just economically um, something that's growing for me just because of the general need of people needing money, but women in particular. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You make it a point to talk about your su support of local businesses through yeah. through your work. Tell me about that. Oh, um, like you mean like the people that I support or the like the, the local businesses? Oh, yes, the you support, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, new seasons. Um, which even though <laughs> you've got a good amount of plugs in this interview over there, really <laughs> hopefully they're compensating really you well, well for this. Actually, no. I mean, in long term, I guess they are, but they're amazing. Uh, I really, Greg Ryder, uh, Greg Ryder, honor awesome people. I. You know, and there, there's an example of two men that just were like, she knows what she's doing. This is great. She can handle it. She knows what's, you know, mm -hmm. stewards aren't complaining, so let's give her more business. Mm -hmm. Like, in the end, it comes down to the individual and how well they're doing. And I really appreciate that. Um, in regards to other businesses, I love Park Avenue, what um, Stacey and Neil are doing. Um, I mentioned Wiser's before. Um, you know, these retailer, mom and pop, oh man, Talina and Dan, they're sweet peas and a half. Like, I love, that's another really great woman to interview if you want to interview. She's, Talina's awesome. Um, 
She has a long time in this industry. I know I'm forgetting somebody. Zoo Pants has been nice, to, really nice to work with as well. I really appreciate Gina. She got me connected with Vital Barnett, who's been a pleasure to, to work with as well. Andy's another awesome human being. Um, they make a new, champ new champagne yeah. or uh, yeah, sparkling, sparkling wine. wine. Yeah, sparkling wine. <laughs> yeah, I know. Almost said it. I know. <laughs> I was like, it's okay. It's hard not. It's really good though. So it's hard not to not to talk about that. Um, Rocco has been supportive since day one. I should have included them in that first list. That's that. They're really really important to me. Um, Roland and Corby have been supportive since absolutely day one. Um, and then Cody from Purple Hands. I've been helping him connect people too. He's also really sweet. Mm -hmm. um, these people are all like the common thread again. Is just they're good people. Mm -hmm. They're really, really good people. Like Roland, Roland, in Roland and Corby in particular have been extra hmm. supportive and giving people to me and then more business and stuff. So that's been awesome. Hmm. Yeah. You also support some causes with your business as well. Yeah, I really think that's important. Um, so because of my son, um, since he has Down syndrome, I, I was on the um, co-leader of Gigi's Playhouse, which is going to be a Down syndrome achievement center. Um, so they're going to offer free therapeutic and educational services for children with Down syndrome, their families, and our community. Um, so it's an awesome program. It's national. It's actually international now. Um, they have um, these achievement centers all over, and there's none, as, as far as I know, there's still none on the West Coast, I think, except for down in San Diego. And it's just, it's, it's incredible. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that I wish I had as a mother of a child with Down syndrome. It's just a place to go to, or a child with special needs in general. Like, it's a place to go to where you know it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. Like, they're always the odd person out. And normal, and, you know, in a, a Southwest Community Center, we take him to Community Center for classes and stuff, and he's always the odd kid out. You know, he's always the one that's a little bit slower or different. And I love that there's going to be a place where that's not the case, um, where he's going to be, you know, accepted for exactly who he is. Um, right off the bat, mm -hmm. so you don't have to worry about like other kids being nice, you know. That for me is a, it's a big worry. <laughs> uh, it's gonna be tough. Um, so it's really, it's really, I, I believe in that foundation completely, um, and I love that. I've been asked a lot, you know, is it just for Down syndrome kids? And I, it won't be if you have a child that wants to come, um, come. Mm. Why not? I don't see why not. Mm. Um, so I really appreciate that about Gigi's Playhouse. Um, and there's nothing really on the on the west side, the southwest side in particular. So the goal is to find a place um, in Tiger, like right off of I-5, I think. I think that's still the goal. I stepped off being a co-leader because I was too much on my plate. You can imagine. So, <laughs> so last summer I was like, I love you guys. Peace out. <laughs> I'll do this one gala a year and that'll be it. So that's happening uh, April 26th at Cooper's Hall. And I'm in the middle of, of getting donations and, you know, trying to get that ball rolling. I need, still need two more chefs um, to cook because it's going to be a really awesome team of chefs. Um, Benjamin Bettinger and um, Aaron Barnett from St. Jack, um, Cheryl Walkerhauser, Daniel fr from Daniel Shoemaker from Teardrop is going to donate the cocktail. Um, thanks. He's good. Um, so just all these people are, um, Jasper Shen from Exel is right. He's great too. Um, and then of course Cooper's Hall team, like Keith Morris is awesome. It's thanks to him that it all happened really last year because he headed the chef's group and I was like, okay, great. I don't have to worry about food now. You guys are good. We're good. Let me know. I can. I have connection. You know, Tom owns Pacific Coast. Can guys get you introduced? And Tom was awesome. Really took care of that. Um, sorry, David Namarnik from uh, Pacific Coast Foods. So he, David's sweet pea, automatically donated a lot of the produce and stuff for that. Um, so the first gala we did was we raised 40000 um, and the costs were right around 5000 which was awesome. And it was all thanks to people donating their time, food and wine being donated, all the auction items being donated. Like, we really, we really worked people. Tucker, who does gala-like stuff, he was our um, uh, auctioneer and he rocked it. He's such a good auctioneer. <laughs> um, you know, I had friends from my, my kid's preschool. My daughter goes to a co-op preschool and so those Mamas and dads came over and were just like, sweet, let's check in people, let's do this, let's analyze. Like, it was it's just, again, mm -hmm. being this hub and just asking people, like, hey, can you help me? Mm -hmm. And they all did that. So Gigi's Playhouse is my main one. Um, but I was re Andy Lytle invited me to the Children's Cancer Association, which I think is amazing what they're doing with what everything, what they're doing is incredible. That's on a whole other level. I've got student fundraising, but I'd love to help them out. Um, who else? I know there's another one I'm missing, I feel like. That might be it for right now, I feel like. So for schools, actually the schools, that's it. So Gabriel Park Preschool and then I'm helping out with Markham. My daughter's gonna go to Markham next, this fall, so I'm already helping them out with their auction this year to get fine connections. Yeah. So you don't have a lot of, you don't have a lot of like boredom. You don't have a lot of, 
not a lot of like downtime where you just sort of sit around no. thinking. No, uh, I probably should use more of that, but um, but I do make. I, yeah, this last weekend I did an early birthday celebration, so I find snippets, and then um, my husband and I we're really big planners, if you can't tell. So we we already have like through August these like long weekends together. And I'll be saying, I'm sorry, not working. Like, like I did this last weekend. I was like, emergency only. Love you guys. There's a four-page document of like what to do and how problem solving. <laughs> Please refer to that before calling me. Um, and no, nobody had any problems, which that was great. Um, just a couple texts about like, oh, by the way, here's my receipt. And like, great, forward it to me. Well, done. Um, so was, yeah, I make sure that there's there's playtime. Like, uh, like once a week, I try to go out with friends just to catch up with that um, because I'm efficient. And, Organized, it's, I can do that. I can make that. I can find that time. Being efficient, organized is, is huge. I think, and be able to have a successful business where you're, it's, where it's balanced, where you're not doing work all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can donate more time <laughs> <laughs> and be a mom. Yeah. So Margo Co. is still pretty brand new. You've already you've yeah. already expanded and you've already diversified a bit. Yeah. Tell me what's next. What do you see as you look ahead for your company? Um, I'd love to just keep expanding the team and keep finding more areas that have a need for people like my team. I, it's pretty simple, um, but in a good way. I'd love to get to a point where I'm making an earning enough that I can travel to Italy, Italy again, go back to where I love about wine and maybe take some staff with me or something, you know, like like do something where it's an incentive, I don't know. Figure, that would be like a long time from now that I'd have to make good, really good money for that um, or figure out how to get people to pay for that, <laughs> figure that out. Um, I think there's educational things like <laughs> to tap into. Anyway, uh, I, I really want to help the education process like and help people get more educated and help them on their journey. I would really, really like to do that. So Margo & Co. is a focus, continuing expanding with the folks on education. Hmm. Yeah. Let's see. Tell me about the Oregon wine industry that, as you've seen it uh, from when you mm. got into it to now. What, what, what has changed about Oregon wine? Oh, diversification and consolidation all at once. Like, so many more options, which I love. Um, but f much more comp competition. I feel like when I was a sales rep, um, let's see, I started sales in like 08, I think, uh, 08, 09. Um, and it was way more amiable. You know, there wasn't as many big players. Um, Lemo was always salary paid, so you weren't having this intense pressure of commission-based sales, which I really, really appreciated. Um, I could, you could see the, the sales reps when they were stressed and they were being paid commission, and they were just like, my, my, kid, has, my kid needs, you know, braces. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's help me out. <laughs> that stinks. Um, so it's, you know, you see, you see a different drive on that, on that aspect. Um, it, was, it was always really friendly. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm helping Gregory Cantu um, starting this, this month uh, with a little bit of sales, like I have 15 accounts for Run Street Wine Company. Um, just because I figure, well, I'm seeing these people a lot, I might as well just sell some wine on the side. Once again, adding a little bit more to my plate, but in a good way, because um, it's overlapping. And I really do love sales. Uh, so it's been interesting to get into that game. Like I've only been to it three weeks, and it's different. Like the sales reps are, are different. I, there's a lot less familiar place, uh, faces in regards to sales reps on the street. I'm seeing a lot more sloppy sales reps, like people that just don't check their back stock or returns regularly. I'm like, how could you not? It's like 101. Go to account, you service them. That means checking their back stock and checking returns and checking out with the buyer and making sure you make FaceTime with the buyer. Like, I, I'm hearing stewards tell me how frequent it is that reps don't, you know, touch base with them because they're so busy. You know, they're going in and out. They don't have time. They have like a million accounts and like traffic sucks. So you have to like book it to the next account. And I get that pressure, but that that's not good training. That's that's sad to see. I think a decrease in regards to quality of service mm -hmm. that really bums me out. But um, I don't know, maybe. Maybe I help out with that too. Don't know. <laughs> um, solve one problem. Yeah, I know. I really, man. Service to me is so important. So it's hard to see that and not be like, <clears throat> now you can go to where there's takes like an extra minute. Why not? Yeah. What about as you look ahead for Oregon wine? What do you What do you see? We're in 2020 now. So what does the Oregon wine industry look like in, in 2030? That's a great question. I was thinking about that because I know that was one of the questions. I just, I've, it can go in so many di different directions. I think, I think, I think it's going to be inevitable that more money is going to come into it um, in regards to outside influence. But I do think Oregon will always have its heart of being um, farmers and being people that really care about the land. Um, you know what Mimi Castile is doing. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting to see um, you know the, the natural wine movement. I don't know if that's going to continue necessarily in the way that it was, but I do think it's 
open the door and the questions of like, what are you putting in your wine? Which I think is a good question. I've always loved Ridged Vineyards for putting ingredients on the label. I would love, I'm assuming it's costly and there's a lot of um, government related slash TTB related, you know, reasons as to why wine wineries don't put ingredients mm -hmm. on the label. But I, to me, it's like, man, if you really are na like natural and or like want to be pr transparent, put ingredients on the label. Um, would really like to know the answer to that question as <laughs> to why it's not more commonplace. Um, yeah, I think I think it's going to be interesting. Where I think transparency is more important in the wine industry more than ever. Um, I think there's awesome people moving to town that could really help boost the quality here, but they have to be given a chance, mm -hmm. um, which means pay has to be increased in the industry. And I know it's easy to say, oh, people should be paying more, but how do you do that? That's a great question. Like. If you have to increase cost and increase, you know, the end note is consumers pay a little bit more, mm -hmm. but everyone benefits because we're all getting service better. And then that's that's a good end point. That's okay. We shouldn't be afraid of it. Um, yeah, I think it's it's good. Yeah. What advice would you have for someone who wanted to to, to be you or to or to join the yeah. industry in, in in some way? Um, I'd say don't be me because. <laughs> You should be yourself. Um, my mom was always really good about that. I was always, I would always tell her like, I want to be like you as a mother, and she'd be like, No, you're going to be better, and you're going to be really good. Like, it's going to be fine. You be, you be your own mother, and I, I do think that's important. It's good to have people that you look up to, but you find it your own way, which I think is really important. Um, and just uh, taking the time to uh, find out who you are, and taking that time to, um, which I realize is also a luxury, but in college. You have lots of time. I mean, I remember having way more time in college than I did now. Man, I wish I had done some of this thinking back then. But, mm -hmm. um, but I, I do think, hopefully, um, if you want something, don't be afraid. Speak up. Speak out constantly. Um, make time for yourself and constantly have balance. But don't be afraid of taking those, those risks, because you just never know. Or asking those questions, because you never know what will happen. It doesn't hurt to ask. Yeah. Anything you guys want to ask? Mm -hmm. Do we cover everything? Um, you kinda answered it, but how do you market yourself? That's a good question. Your customers, yeah. Um I think Instagram's awesome. I think Instagram's amazing and the hashtags. Once I finally got a hold of that, I was like, oh sweet, this is good. So it's fun to see um, some some business that way. But once again, going back to those questions and like, you know, not being afraid and just being open to stuff, going to trade shows and introducing yourself. Um, I think a lot of wineries, especially the local industry, um, once you make that personal connection with them in person, um, and then following up with an email um, or a phone call, or even if another personal visit to that winery, like that's a huge, huge, huge part of, of I think, um, for at least my business, in making those connections and those customers. Um, so once again, it goes down to like, don't be, don't be, don't be shy. Kind of go for it. Yeah, but social media for sure helped immensely, and word of mouth and people. Word of mouth, yeah. Do you have a, a size in mind for your business? No, which I probably should. I know I should, um, but I just don't. I never expected I'd be over 50 people and so many customers within, um, you know, a year and a half. So I kind of feel like. Why should I, like even when I was at Lemoy Company, I was a really good sales rep because I, I didn't like looking at the numbers so much. I like to just do the best I possibly could. Mm -hmm. I'd always just kind of keep going. Um, and that's, I think I want to keep doing my business that way is just keep going. As long as I'm constantly rechecking in with my family and making sure I'm having that balance, we're good. And nice. I'm very lucky I have an awesome support system so I can do that. Yeah. yeah. So that's all the questions that we have. Okay. Uh, is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover that we should have covered? Um, I want to give a big shout out to my sister, Lucia, who's awesome, who's at Rocco. <laughs> so, um, like after Lemma clo closed, that's right. That's kind of portion part of it. Um, so backtrack to 2018, like when I started my business, four months after that, um, roughly I think four to six months after that, my father got sick, my sister got married, my other sister was expecting a baby, my brother was having a baby. So Lemma closed. <laughs> So um, it was just it was just all it was a lot it was a lot a lot so um, and honestly like going back again going back to the other question of how the industry um, has changed immensely I don't know if Lama Wine would have 
like really thrived in this type of industry that we're in now. Mm -hmm. They really cared about service. They were salary based, was not commission based, so it wasn't this big rat race kind of fight. Um, and that's that's a big um, reason of, as to why, you know, it's kind of cheesy, but like things happen. Mm -hmm. Like it's amazing how everything happens for a reason. It was amazing that I was like, okay, I definitely can't come back to the online company because my son is Johnson, so it's not gonna happen. Um, everyone in my family has since found other jobs. Um, outside of the industry, except for my younger sister and I. We really like wine, so Lucy <laughs> and I are still full-forged into it, and I love that we are. My sister Marcelita, she's a stay-at-home mama with two kids, but not really stay-at-home mama, because she's like me, we do like a million. She does all these fundraisers. She's, she's, she's even more on steroids than I am, she's amazing. <laughs> um, she, she helps me every once in a while with Margo and Co stuff, and I appreciate it, because she's a really kick-ass salesman. She's really, I don't know if I can swear. See. You anyway, can absolutely okay, good. swear. She's a really kick-ass salesman. Um, <laughs> she's really good. Yeah, I just I feel like I didn't talk about my family, and they're a big reason as to why I am. So I appreciate them immensely. Glad we got them in. Yeah, that's, good. that's it. Excellent. That's all I've been thinking about. That's so, it. Well, thank yeah. you so much for joining sure. us today, for sharing your story. Thank you and for having me. And telling about Margot & Co. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll let you off the hook. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.